Good morning, church family. As Eric said, my name is Matt Doan, one of the pastors here at Calvary Church. And it is a privilege and a joy to be connected to you through this modem, this medium here today. Um, as we look into God's word, I invite you to grab your Bible. If it's near you, open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 6. We'll be landing and beginning our time in verse 13. If you need to go grab your Bible, go get it. Go get it in the next room. Go somewhere and find it. Bring it back into this place that you're watching. Because I really want you to have the word of God in front of you here this morning. As we believe that God's word transforms us, it changes us from the inside out. So we want you to see it for yourself. So we're landing today in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. And we've been in this study of the book of Hebrews since April. Uh, the first three chapters of Hebrews, we titled Jesus is Supreme. And what an appropriate title that was as we entered into this COVID-19 world. Reminding one another that Jesus is better than anything else we could look to. And then we talked in through chapter 4 of Hebrews and we looked at the idea of rest. And in this anxious world, how desperate all of us are for rest. And now we're in a section of Hebrews, chapters 5 through 9. And we've titled this section, A Better Hope. And maybe you're at a place where you've lost some hope. This pandemic seems to just keep stretching on and on. And even here in California, we've had new orders and, and things announced this week that just seem like it pushes off normal life even farther down the road. And so maybe we've lost hope. And so what a great time to be looking into God's word here in the book of Hebrews and understanding that we have a hope, a better hope in Jesus Christ. I've titled uh, our sermon here today, Anchoring Our Hope in God's Promises. And that's really what I hope you walk away from today, is that you can have hope in the promises of God. You can anchor yourself. You can hold tight to God's promises. You can trust, even as we've just saying, that he is good, gracious, and faithful. But as we think of the idea of promises, I think it's important that we acknowledge right off the bat that we do have a complicated relationship when it comes to promises. All of us have been let down by other people who have promised us something and then not brought it forth. Maybe you've heard this saying before, right? Don't make promises that you can't keep. I think it was around my junior high aged years when this saying really became true. As uh, I was sitting in my middle school and an eighth grader got up and made a campaign promise as he was running for ASB president of our school. And he promised the world to our school. I'm going to give you extra vacation days. You're going to get new lockers. And oh, by the way, you're going to get free donuts every Friday. And when he announced this last one, the crowd of our junior high just went wild. Yeah, yeah, vote for him, vote for him. We all want free donuts. And here I am about 33 years later, still waiting on that first Friday of free donuts. Maybe that's when you realize that politicians can't always be trusted in their promises. Back when you were in junior high and you heard similar promises to this eighth graders campaign. 
In fact, if you're in that boat, I just want to give you a public service today. Today, and I'm serious about this, meet me at 1045 right after the service, before you get to your life group at 11, at DK Donuts, right down the street from Calvary. And I promise you, I will buy you a free donut. All right? So just jump in your car right after the service. Meet me at DK's. I'll be the guy in the purple shirt with the mask. I will buy you a free donut, even as a kind of a catharsis for my own letdown promises as a junior hire. But this idea of promises, you maybe you've heard this saying too, under promise and over deliver. I hate to say it, but as the pandemic was getting going this spring, you know, the strange uh, concept that toilet paper now is the most important thing in all of our lives. And there was this huge run on toilet paper, right? And I have to just admit that I got caught up in this run as well. And I went online and with a family of six going, okay, I, I better stock up here. I began to look for toilet paper. And to my fear, all of the sites that I went to said, you know, no supply, um, undeliverable. Until I found this one website that, and this toilet paper company that I had never heard of before, which should have been like a warning right there. Uh, that said that they had an abundant supply of toilet paper and they could deliver it in mere days to your front door. And so I excitedly clicked on that link, paid my money, went way more than I would ever normally buy for toilet paper, and thought to myself, like, wow, I just beat the internet. Like, I'm a savvy customer. I bought this toilet paper. It's going to come in a couple days. One week went by. Two weeks. Three weeks four weeks, five weeks, six weeks went by and I still hadn't received my allotment of toilet paper. Finally, at the end of week six, this is what arrived on my front door. I don't know if you can see this uh, on your television set, but this is the smallest roll of toilet paper that I have ever seen in my life. I received 12 of these tiny rolls as I was once again reminded of this truth that it's better to underpromise and overdeliver than overpromise and underdeliver like my toilet paper shipment. In the book of Hebrews verse 13, if you're there, look with me. It says these words. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. I want you, if you have the ability, um, to circle that word promise in Hebrews chapter 6, right here in verse 13. As the author of Hebrews has a little hyperlink. In so many places in Hebrews, there's these links to the Old Testament. Where the author is saying, hey, hey go back in order to look forward. And so in this moment, he's reminding us of God's promise to Abraham. Now... Maybe when you see this line in Hebrews 13, it doesn't really excite you. It doesn't make your heart pound. Because one, you kind of forget the, the story of Abraham. Or two, you've experienced broken promises. And so, okay, well, what does it mean, a promise? But we have to remember exactly what God was doing when he made this promise to Abraham. You go back into Genesis. In Genesis 22, verse 17. You read these incredible words, this promise from God to Abraham. It says, indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as, as the sand in which is on the seashore. I don't know if you've been to the beach at all this summer, but there's a lot of sand on our beaches, aren't there? 
Here God is promising Abraham that his descendants, the generations that will come after Abraham in his line, his legacy, his relatives, there'll be more of them than there is sand at the beach. Incredible promise. And then you read more in Genesis. You actually read from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25, the story of Abraham. And I even encourage you this week to dig into that story. It's better than anything you could binge on TV or social media this week. It's just this incredible story. And you read Abraham's story and you see in the light and context of of God's promise to him. That Abraham was involved in battles in Genesis 14. You see that Abraham and his wife Sarah were senior citizens. They first received this promise from God when they were in their mid-70s. And they waited decades for the promise to come to fruition. They were wandering from town to town. They They were nomads. They were like so many of our friends and families who have just jumped in their cars and driven to Utah or Idaho over this summer. They were just kind of bouncing from place to place. And oh, by the way, just to remind you, God gave this promise that they'd have more children than the sand on the beach while they were still childless as senior citizens. Abraham and Sarah responded to God's promise with probably a lot like how you and I would respond, right? They laughed at God's promise. How could this be? They ultimately sadly disobeyed God's promise. And found a surrogate thinking that maybe they could take God's promise and and kind of help them out and, and having it come to fulfillment. They eventually had a son named Isaac. And then as we read in Genesis, God tells them to sacrifice their son. This is the context of this promise in Genesis 22. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. It's just an audacious promise from God to Abraham and Sarah. This would be like if I promised you here today, hey, I I know you're in your 60s and you're only five foot four, but I promise you, You're going to play in the NBA next season. Or it would be like, you know, I know you're 16 years old, but I promise you next year you're going to buy a house in your name. Or, yeah, I know you have an extreme fear of public speaking, but I promise you you're going to be on this platform preaching a sermon this fall. Or I know you really don't know how to swim, but I promise you, By the time you turn 40, you're going to swim from Newport to Catalina. I mean, that's the style, the weight, the craziness of God's promise to Abraham. But there's something that's really cool that's here in the text is that God not only promises this huge thing to Abraham and Sarah, but he backs it up. Look at verse 15, 14 and 15 of Hebrews 6. So we have a quote here from Genesis 22. I'll surely bless you and I'll surely multiply you. And then verse 15. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Verse 16. For men swear by one greater than themselves and with an oath given as a confirmation. And it's the end of every dispute. Verse 17. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. 
Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So God backs up his promise to Abraham in the book of Genesis in two ways. Two unchangeable ways, the author of Hebrews reminds us. First, God takes an oath. And we have to kind of understand the cultural context of, of why God would do this to Abraham. In Abraham's day, when people would enter into a contract, often to make that contract certain, to allow both parties to feel confident that, that one wouldn't back out, they would say, I swear this contract, this agreement, this covenant, I swear it to God. I give my oath to God. And what they meant when they said that was that if they break this promise, if they walk out of this contract, if they shatter the covenant, may God judge them. May God deal with them. It was a pretty serious thing. In fact, the book of Hebrews reminds us here in chapter 6 that it would end all disputes. If there was two parties that were making an agreement and one wasn't sure, if the other person swore by God, made an oath to God, then that ended the dispute. They would often have confidence now to enter into that agreement. And here is God saying, I commit, I take an oath to you, Abraham, about this promise that you will have more children, more legacy than sand at the beach. I take an oath because there's no other name that greater than mine. I take an oath by my own name. Now, God didn't do that because he needed to increase his confidence in the promise. God did that. He used human language in order to increase Abraham's confidence, Abraham's trust in the promise. And then the book of Hebrews reminds us, and it's referenced here also in the Old Testament and New Testament, that it is impossible for God to lie. Isn't that a great truth? You know, in the book of John, Jesus reminds us that Satan is the father of lies. That nothing that Satan says can be true. That everything he says is a lie. To contrast that, God cannot lie. Meaning that we can trust him. We can trust and be confident in his promises. And so Abraham and God enter into this agreement as God promises Abraham these things. He says, they're unchangeable. When I commit to a promise, I see it out. And then look at verse 18. It goes on to say this. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. The people in the day that Hebrews was written were feeling very weary. It was a time when persecution was running rampant to these baby Christians, this first generation of followers of Jesus. They had taken this big leap. They had counted the cost and they'd said, Jesus, you are supreme. My hope is in you. And the result of that was persecution. The result of that was separation from their tight-knit communities and families. Here's an ancient art painting of, of Christians being beheaded. And so the author of Hebrews is, is bringing encouragement to this first century church that is weary and tired. And he's saying, look to the promises that God gave Abraham. Look how God was faithful to Abraham. 
That's the same God that you worship here today. I'd love for you to write down this thought because this is something that you need to return to. It's such a basic thought, but it has so much depth to it. God's past faithfulness leads to future trust. As you look back at the faithfulness of God in the Old Testament to men like Abraham, to women like Sarah, as you look back to the faithfulness that God has had in your life, as you're feeling weary here today in this pandemic that is in like week 22, we can trust God that his past faithfulness can lead us to future trust in him and his promises. And just to remind you of some of the promises that you can take hold of today, I asked some of my friends, family here at Calvary, just to quickly look into their phones and remind us of some of God's promises. So just check out this little video. This is to give us rest of our souls in him. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5. God promises to comfort and be with us in the darkest valley. Psalm 23. God promised that whoever believes in him, he will give them the Holy Spirit. John 14. God promises to supply our needs in him. Philippians 4.19. God promises that those who abide in Jesus will bear much fruit. God promises to take you out of temptation. Okay? Hold on to that. Hold on to it tight. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God promises that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Romans 8, 28. God promises that our salvation is secure no matter what. John 10, 28, and 29. God promises to give us wisdom if we ask. James 1, 5. So good. Hebrews 6.19 reminds us that we can anchor our hope on these promises. Look at verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast. That's incredible. Just let those words sink into your heart and your minds here this morning. We have this hope. It's an anchor of our soul. It's both sure and steadfast. We can count, we can clean, we can hold on to the promises of God. The same God who was faithful to his promises to Abraham is the same God who is faithful to us in coronavirus pandemic season. He is your anchor. Let him be your anchor. I was uh, perusing a periodical that I've never really looked at before. It was Maritime Magazine. And I was looking at uh, a proper way uh, to secure an anchor when you're in a storm. Now, there's three options when a boat faces a storm. Option one is you can just go out to sea and you can just ride through the storm and, and hope that, you know, nothing happens to your boat to tip it over. The second thing you can do is you can tie it to a dock or a mooring. And this is a good option for many, but as even I was reading on the East Coast, when a, when a massive hurricane comes through, often it takes the docks or moorings with them. And so the magazine was recommending that the best thing you can do in the midst of a storm is to set a good anchor. And then it gives you a description of the type of anchor that they recommend. 
as we are in the storms of our lives, even right now, we are called to set an anchor, to make God our anchor, the anchor of hope that's available to all of us. Now in the book of Hebrews, he references the idea, the author references the idea of this anchor of hope. And this was a kind of a common term in the first century. In fact, here is a photo of a tomb. And I don't know if you can see this from your screen, but there's actually a fish here, was a common symbol as well. And then right in the middle of that is an anchor. And so you'd have the symbol of a cross, you'd have the symbol of a fish, but then they also use this symbol of an anchor. Makes me think of my friend uh, Matt and Jeer, who is now with Jesus Christ. And this was his favorite passage in the Bible as he experienced cancer. In fact, some of, some of his family and friends who go here to Calvary, in memory of Matt in this, in this great verse, have actually tattooed an anchor on their arms to remind them of this truth. And the early Christians did something similar, looking and reminding themselves that God is their anchor in storms. I recently came across this thought from Mark Sayers. He said, you know, in this pandemic, it's reminded us once again that we aren't in control of nature. This little microbe has drifted into our world and has literally put the world on pause. And so once again, we've been broken of the illusion that somehow we are in control of nature. But also over the last month or so, we've been reminded that we can't control nature and we also can't control human nature as we've experienced unrest and injustice when it comes to race. As we've experienced just even the, uh, the, the grossness and divisiveness of a political campaign here in the United States. We've realized and reminded once again that we can't control nature and we can't control human hearts. And so we're in this storm-tossed world. We are in desperate need of an anchor, an anchor for our souls. And this is when we can cling to the hope of God's promises. This is a time that we are called to dive deep into the word of God. And so I'm wondering in your life right now, how might God be inviting you to make him the anchor of your soul? Allowing God's word to be louder than any social media voice or news station. Allowing God's promises not to be just something that's distant and out there or in the past, but something that's actually relevant for you today. Fellowshipping with other Christians to encourage one another, to remind each other that you have this anchor of the soul. And then ultimately we can anchor to God by remem remembering and being reminded that we have an ultimate promise. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19, it references this in this last part of 19 when it says this. And we have one which enters within the veil. Look at verse 20. Where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We have this great high priest named Jesus Christ. As you look through the book of Hebrews, this is actually the first time that Jesus is referenced, other than a quick mention in the beginning of 6, uh, for two chapters. 
So the author of Hebrews has been building this case for the weary uh, first century Christians. He's been building this case of, of don't fall away. You can trust in God's promises. You have this anchor for your soul. And then right here at the end of this passage, he goes, oh yeah, and the ultimate promise is Jesus. This forerunner who has gone ahead of you. Here's a photo of a replica of what the temple would look like. And there was a couple of different curtains where the high priest would enter once a year and then would enter in beyond the curtain to make atonement for the sins of the people. This is a very serious thing for the priest to enter into this place. There was all kinds of washings and things they had to do to prepare their heart and their mind to enter this place. In fact, as we continue in our study of Hebrews, we'll look at some of those details. And so the high priest would enter into this place with fear and trepidation because they were coming into the presence of God, the holiness of God. No one else could enter. And then we have the forerunner, Jesus. And Hebrews reminds us that Jesus entered into the veil. The veil was torn in two when Jesus gave up his life on the cross. As you know, Jesus went to the cross not for anything that he had done, but for what you and I had done, sinning against a holy God. And because of our sin, we cannot be in the presence of God because God is perfect and blameless and holy. And so we deserve not only earthly separation from God, but eternal separation from God, separated from God in hell. And yet Jesus, being our forerunner, went to the cross died on the cross, shed his blood on the cross, and then the grave and death could not hold him. Jesus overcame sin. Jesus conquered death. Jesus went ahead of us into the heavenly realms. And as John 14 says, Jesus is preparing a place for us right now as he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I as we live in this pandemic world. Jesus is our hero, our friend, our Lord, our savior, our forerunner. He is the ultimate promise. He is the one that we are to cling to. He is the anchor of our souls. So my question for us is this. How does looking at Jesus as the forerunner help you follow and trust him in your daily life? In this life that is full of quarantine and press conferences that remind us of new rules every week. How can you trust in Jesus, the forerunner in your life? Galatians chapter 3 verse 29, similar to the thinking here in Hebrews 6 says this. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. You know, when I was a little kid and maybe you grew up with this song, there was that song, Father Abraham, right? Like, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'll stop right there for you. And then remember you would get your right arm going and left arm, eventually you'd spin around. I hated that song when I was a kid. 
I just didn't want to get up. It felt too much activity. Every Sunday school class, I feel like that was the time filler that they would use. They'd sing that song, like, not again. But as I was studying this great passage in Hebrews and thinking of God's faithfulness and his promise to Abraham, this little child song, Sunday school song, just took on brand new meaning to me. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. God was faithful in his promises to Abraham. God is faithful to his promises to you and I. Let's make him our anchor. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful reminder from the book of Hebrews. God, the first century church needed this encouragement so much. They were weary, they were tired, they were broken. God, we need this promise and reminder so much. We are weary and tired and broken. So God, may we fresh our hearts and minds right now. May we cling to you, the anchor of our soul, even more and more right now and this week by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Christ's name we pray, amen.